Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, y'all, just so you know, we're going to be talking about this week's episodes of In Treatment. So that means spoilers are ahead. There's also some explicit language in this podcast. So please take care of yourself while listening. Hey everybody, my name is Brandon Kyle Goodman. My pronouns are he and they, and I am an actor, a writer, and an activist. I am queer, and I'm black, and I'm fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I am Dr. Janelle S. Pfeiffer. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and a professor, and also a mom too, so I stay busy. Yes, and also fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> and my pronouns are she, her. And welcome to In Session, the official companion podcast of the HBO show In Treatment, where we deconstruct what happens in the show to understand how therapy works. But remember, this show is not a substitute for therapy, so reach out to a professional if you need. All right, let's get started. You can do this. You got everything that it takes. All right, y'all. So we are kicking off our final episode today, which is so sad, Dr. Janelle. This is the last episode. Don't make me cry. I know. But it's an exciting one because we have the one and only, the woman of the hour, Uzo Aduba. Uzo, of course, plays the ever so complex Dr. Brooke Taylor. Now, we got the chance to interview Uzo while she was at her home. So you might hear a couple, you know, recording sounds and some things happening in the background. It's a pandemic. We all at home, you know how it is. But the conversation was really, really beautiful. And then after that, we'll move to thinking about how the show wrapped up the storylines for our main characters, Eladio, Colin, and Layla. Plus, we'll get into that process, the sometimes tricky process of knowing how and when to end a therapeutic relationship. But let's get started off with Uzo. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having Thank me. Thank you for joining us. It's wonderful. Yes, of course. Yes. Well, so let's start off with what first attracted you to this role of Dr. Brooke Taylor? What first attracted me to the role was I was attracted to the question first of why do people go to therapy? Mm. Right. And then I was also... Um, impacted by Dr. Brooks' pain and loss, the experience of pain and loss, mm-hmm. and um, mm. what that feels like, looks like, sitting in the opposite chair that I'm familiar with. I'm wondering about the research you did for the role. Like, were there any references that helped you understand Brooke, or uh, were there any people in your life that Brooke was modeled after? Like, how were you able to get inside of Dr. Brooke? 
Um, I know three therapists um, in my life, but one in particular, a really dear friend who I would talk to pretty regularly before the process of what it's just kind of like, what the experience is like for her mm. personally, why people become therapists, you know, what it is like to go through that process. Um, we would talk at times also while filming as well on occasion, not necessarily like colleagues, but we were just talking, you know, to sort of work through, map through some of her struggles. Was any of Brooke modeled on anyone that I know? She wasn't modeled on anyone that I know, but she certainly, her experiences in real time were familiar to me and my own walk at that particular moment of time in my life. I could understand and recognize a lot of the Brooke out-of-session storyline as far as what pain and loss looks like, feels like, what it's like to lose track of your pain, you know, mm-hmm. and what that can result in if you aren't careful. Yeah. Yeah. So that was interesting. But I will also say this, you know, because we've had conversations since the show has come out, people who have said to me, like, that is one dressed therapist. And I say, you know, like, my yes. therapist isn't always that. I'm like, mine doesn't either, but I actually do know one of the three people who I, who I was referencing is who is a psychotherapist always is done to the nine. To the nine. Always done to the nine. Yes. Was that a conscious choice for Dr. Brooke to be so put together? Was it a conscious choice? Yes. You know, our costume designer, Tiffany uh, Hasborn, had a very specific and clear vision of what she wanted Mm. um, to present as uh, the world of Dr. Brooke. And I think it supported who she was and this idea of... um, the excellence that not only existed within Brooke's home, mm-hmm. but the excellence that exists within Black excellence. Mm. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know? Yes. This is a woman who puts a great deal of effort in presenting like all is fine. And not mm-hmm. just fine, yes. perfect. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. from her home to her costumes, because I do think of them as that. You know, this is yeah. this is a an armor she puts on, um, and this mm. is how she prepares herself not only for going into work but to just get through the day. Mm-hmm. And that's Oof, the nail yeah. is not out of place, the hair is not not laid, <laughs> the face will be beat. You know, all of it. I did not always believe that it was because that was her passion, Mm -hmm. but that was more her protection. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, and that relentlessness of the expectation of Black excellence being above reproach at all times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, absolutely. And you think about it, you know, obviously in this space, I don't have to like say it, but the numbers are the numbers Mm -hmm. and Mm. that such a small few exist in that space already will amplify, I think, what that excellence is Mm -hmm. going to be, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And Brooke is not unaware 
she's a very smart woman. She's not unaware of what those numbers are. She is not unaware that she sits in a seat far too often occupied by too few people who look like mm-hmm. herself. Mm-hmm. She is aware of those things. She is aware also of her own life story and backstory and her own home life and that excellence of her father and an architect another profession that you understand so it's like yeah there is a lot built into that story intentionally of how she both keeps herself and keeps her home and what those two presentations mean a in a time of pandemic mm-hmm. where we all know yes. we're wearing sweatpants and t-shirts yes. so <laughs> like, <laughs> like, is this the bar in LA like, <laughs> no one is doing it's like we've all yes. jig is up we've all abandoned this. <laughs> you know like we've all abandoned this and you're still persisting with this and then two there's something for me, so beautiful about the clothes and so beautiful about the home and then strangely off about both. Mm-hmm. When you know we're uh. not supposed to be seeing either, like at least this part of her mm-hmm. life, we're not supposed to be seeing yeah. her home. She's supposed, she has an office somewhere in Santa Monica, yes. but nothing is out of place mm-hmm. here. Who lives like that? Yeah. And why? <laughs> Oof. I mean, I could talk to you about the clothes forever, but <laughs> what has been your relationship to therapy? I go, <laughs> full stop. <laughs> yes. I go, I believe in it. I think it is incredibly useful. Clarifying is the next word that came in my mind. Mm. And then there's something really wonderful about feeling completely heard. Mm. Not understood, because I'm not sure if that happens in there. Jury's still out on that. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not a therapist. (laughs) I'm not a therapist. Just play one on TV. (laughs) But do feel heard and not with like any condition on it. Yeah. And I think everybody could benefit from that. I mean, I think that idea of being witnessed is huge. And I, I would love to hear more from you about. What you've said in other interviews that this was one of the hardest things that you've ever done. So what mm-hmm. what felt hard for you in this? What made this a difficult job? It was the first time, y'all, where like I didn't feel like the space was so great mm-hmm. between me and the character kind of almost going back to this thing about Dr. Brooke and the costumes of protections. I don't think I realized that like characters before have been almost like a costume. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? If you make sense, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. And um, this was like going into performance at times with no mm-hmm. costume on. So mm-hmm. a lot of characters I played have either been or either have been entirely real. So it's like there's a boundary right around like how the play space of sorts, because it's like, I can't suddenly show up playing Shirley Chisholm with like mm-hmm. locks or something. Like, it's like, that's not who that woman was. Right. right. Or it is a character of invention. So it's like, yes, there are things that I can connect with and find, but some of it is just dreamed up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. Versus in real time, there is a lot of what 
she is experiencing and going through in her story in terms of pain and loss that I also was going through at the mm-hmm. time, you know, um, right before we started shooting, I had just lost my mother. Mm-hmm. And it was wild to me to be feeling pain, feeling loss. I know what those things feel like. I know what it also feels like to feel like you're losing track of your pain, but to be watching someone Mm. doing it in another way and further down Mm -hmm. the road, that was the thing that was like, I'm not making this up. I'm not reaching elsewhere for it. You know what I mean? It's like the choice of honesty is not like, I've seen some character in my mind and I have to just dive in fully honest to who that character woman is Suzanne Crazy Eyes Warren, fearlessly is one type of honest. Mm -hmm. Another type of honest is like, you having to decide now, Uzo, are you going Mm. to give what is actually the reality of this feeling Mm -hmm. that you know Mm. or manufacture it into something else because it's safer? Oh, man. You Mm. know? And it's like, no, actually, what you feel it you're going to have to offer that because yeah. that's actually the mm-hmm. truth. And that's why it was hard because it's like, it's almost like you're going through your own therapy on screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the level of vulnerability and the intimacy of that as you are in it, I mean, I can't even imagine thinking about the loss of a mother. I mean, especially one as beloved as your mom seems to be to you can just be this devastating process in so many complex ways. So um, how did you decide to continue with this role and bringing the reality and the presence of your loss into the this this work that you were doing, this this part of you that you were presenting to the world? When this project came to me, it was so crazy because nobody knew that my mother was sick. There's a very small, small circle in my friends and family group who knew, right? And um, it was so, like, mind-blowing, mind-shattering because it felt like maybe this is the healing I've been mm-hmm. needing, And I can't describe it any other way other than maybe like the artist way of like, I think how I got through it is kind of how artists make Mm -hmm. art anyway. Mm -hmm. There is a reason catharsis is attached to that Mm -hmm. space, right? The art space. And um, I got through it the only way I know how to get through it, which is to use my body, my voice, my expression Mm -hmm. to help me process Mm -hmm. in the way that I could understand it. Mm -hmm. But I know that what I needed Mm -hmm. to do was to put it somewhere. Mm -hmm. Sure. Because the pain was so much. Yeah. And the power of it Mm -hmm. was so much. And the power of her life Mm -hmm. was so much. It's a big Mm -hmm. woman. It was a force of nature in the best Mm -hmm. way. When I say force of nature, I mean mother, (laughs) not hurricane, you know? And so it was like, 
when going back to the earlier question, we were talking about like when the decision was made for me, where decision was made by me to put my truth into it. I could feel like the layers mm. stripping yeah. back by the end. Whatever had made that vacuumous hole, it started to feel like it was filling. Mm. Yeah. Oof. It's a wonder because it's like the project itself had so many legs to it. You know, it's like we had two days for production per episode. And as you know, we're sitting down just talking for the <laughs> however many pages. And so there's a lot of dialogue and material to learn in that time. And some things I even think about now in reverse, it's like, I was like, whoa, this is grueling. I was like, buckle up. You got to yeah. learn, all, you know, I have to take every minute that I have and I have to learn these lines. And I, you know, I had my incredible assistant on set with me, Maydell Clarice, who is like, honestly, a guardian angel of some kind. She has wings and they come in the form of unicorn colored braids. Um, <laughs> yes. uh, we would just drill and drill and drill this material between takes. Before set in hair and makeup, after production, we'd be in the trailer working 30 minutes to an hour on the weekends every day, four days, Saturday, four days, Sunday, work, 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 nonstop, half of lunch. And um, I thought about it later and I was like, was the load that great or did I need that much distraction? Mm. Huh. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, a thousand percent. Like, I know that I didn't feel the same thing I know that I mm -hmm. felt before mm -hmm. we started. That was like yeah. a whole human being's worth mm -hmm. of space. The enormity of you that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. We have one more question. I mean, this has been so, so beautiful. I guess I'm, I'm interested in what the show means to you and what you hope it will mean to the viewers. What the show means to me is it's an opportunity to say out loud that it is okay to not be okay. It is hmm. an opportunity to not only say that you don't have to suffer in silence, but to actually watch what suffering in silence looks like and to really realize how loud it is. Like, you might think it's mm. so quiet, but, like, if somebody's really yeah. paying attention and watching, it's actually very loud. It will become loud eventually at some point. Whether if it starts quiet, it will become very loud. Audible, mm -hmm. almost. Um, yeah. And so then from that, I guess my hope is that I hope that people realize that not being okay is actually giving yourself the permission to take the road towards being better. I don't know, if, you know, perfect, not, what is it? Progress, not perfection. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing, you know? Hey, um, yes, yes, yes. I think, I hope that it will lead towards people realizing that it doesn't have to always be the biggest version of what we've always considered mental health mm -hmm. to mean. That mental health is actually quite yeah. individual, quite personal. And whatever that is for you, 
you are worth exploring that and that like whatever stigma idea whatever that we attach to it you can hopefully free yourself of it that's my real hope especially because now today here we are and one of the great equalizers around the globe has been the pandemic and has really brought to the front this conversation of mental health that because we were all running around distracted weren't having the time to pause and really discuss some of the cultural norms that maybe perhaps need to be (laughs) re-examined beyond mental health. (laughs) So, and because of that, I hope we now have created the space for that stigma to be lifted. Mm -hmm. So, and I, and my hope is that a show like in treatment can spark that conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm. Definitely thinking about that theme of mental freedom. Yeah. I think that's huge. I think it is doing that. And it's a beautiful thing to witness. And it's, you know, it's been a beautiful thing to have this podcast and be with Dr. Janelle and to now talk to you and to be black people in a space talking about mental health, which was not happening mm. 10 years ago no. either. Um, <laughs> maybe not even five years or last year, but, you know. It's, okay. <laughs> but I, I think that your wish for the viewers and the show, I think, is, is definitely coming into fruition. And so we're just really grateful to have this opportunity to, to share space with you. And thank you for just giving us such a beautiful insight into the show and into your life and to sharing yourself with us. Mm-hmm. It means more than we have time to express. Yeah. Thank you for making that choice to bring your real experience into what you did. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And thank you for doing this work. Wow. I mean, she's an amazing woman. I'm so happy that we finally got to have her on the show. I just can't believe it. Yeah. And now we're going to transition into talking about how the season wrapped up for the stories of all of her clients. Yeah, it seemed like perhaps with the exception of Colin, which, you know, we'll get into. (laughs) This week, Brooke was really trying to steady the ship. And that involved ending some therapeutic relationships or at least considering ending them. Yes, um, I was really interested in the way that Brooke gets Eladio to come to his own conclusions about them needing to end their work together. So let's play a little bit of that part where Brooke pretends to be a friend to coax him towards that realization. So your rich therapist who lives and works in the Black Beverly Hills, and you pay her how much an hour? Two seventy-five. Two seventy-five? Jesus Christ! Well, it's worth every fucking penny. Uh, she's she's kind, she's kind and she cares. She paid for me to see uh, one of her colleagues who's she incredible. Paid? What do you mean? Well, it means that all this class shit that you're talking about is actually kind of unfair because she literally paid for me to see a psychiatrist that I otherwise couldn't afford because that's how much she cares. And isn't that, I don't know, a little weird? Weird how? And how did your very last session with her go? This isn't fair. Yeah. So, what are you thinking, Brandon? I see see your wheels turning. 
I mean, I, I thought that, you know, we've seen role play go terribly wrong with these two. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, let's not do a role play. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a little nervous about uh, this attempt to role play again. It was obviously, I think, successful, we we come to realize. But I think that um, Dr. Brooke uh, feels like she has her wits about her mm-hmm. in how she's doing this. Uh, like that there, there felt like a more, a sensitivity Mm-hmm. I mean, leading up to the role play, I really felt like she was uh, conscious of him. Like, this is even before where she goes, like, can I disagree with you? Mm-hmm. Is it okay for me to empathize with you? Like, she's she's asking these really important questions mm-hmm. to, um, you know, soften him a little mm-hmm. bit and, mm-hmm. and open him in a, in a more organic way. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that idea of really trying to soften him in this organic way, Mm -hmm. especially with the last week, we saw this desire to pull away really suddenly in a way that I think worried both of us, where it felt like it would be another rupture. There would be that kind of suddenness. And this felt so much more intentional. It felt like she was so much more present. And it felt like there was like a loving warmth in it, right? Mm -hmm. And this clarity as she was in her role as a psychologist and and her skill as a psychologist to see this as a process of opening the path for his own realization. Yeah. um, And being there walking alongside of him. Yeah. I think the other thing that's also different, too, with with this iteration of a role play is that Eladio had some willingness as well. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of hesitation on his side uh, in the earlier weeks. And so I think that was also part of the success of this is that he showed some willingness and she listened to that, to listen to each other. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's that's just a good... That's a good rule of thumb in general. <laughs> you just like, you like to see that. Well, I mean, and I wonder, I, I, because it of course made me think about the endings of therapeutic relationships, mm. especially for those where you feel that depth of connection, and all yeah. the different ways that uh, therapy ending can look and can feel. You know, I can think about it from both like the clinician side and from the client side how that feels to come to the end of a therapeutic arc, right? Yeah. And the complexity of emotions that can come up with that and also some of that resistance that can come up. Yeah. I mean, it's sad, you know? I think at the my therapist, I have a hard time just being like, that's tragic and that's mm-hmm. sad. And my therapist is really done a a good job of helping me realize that it's okay for things to be sad and okay for things to be tragic and it's okay to acknowledge that a severing of a relationship is tragic Mm -hmm. and I think that's what we're witnessing is that you know it really does suck here you know Eladio's Mm -hmm. found somebody that he connects to Brooke has found someone that she connects to unfortunately the connection has some strains around it and it's not necessarily the healthiest connection Mm. doesn't change how painful it is Mm -hmm. to choose to end that connection oh you know and so i think what we witness is them having to hold space for those two things like the the pain of ending this but also the importance 
Mm. of ending this. Mm. Mm. I imagine somewhere that your therapist is like cheering, right? Like, <laughs> listen to uh, this BKG talking about the spectrum of human emotions and experiences. Oh <laughs> like, the visual of my therapist cheering for me is like really comforting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, real talk, we sometimes who, do. <laughs> yes. Those of us who love our therapist, there's nothing higher than your therapist being like, great job. You're like, thank you. Oh my God, really? <laughs> we try not to do it because we're like, it's not about our reaction. How does it feel for you? But if we're behind, if I got my headphones on and you don't know that I'm going, yes, listen to that. That sadness does accompany the end of a relationship that had meaning and weight. And that's part of your authentic experience. That's awesome. Yes. Yes. A thousand percent. It's also interesting kind of in the ending of their transference, that Mm -hmm. like maternal son transference, it is still very parental yeah. to kind of like let him go fly you know yeah. to really say I'm gonna let you go spread your wings and I believe that you have everything you can so it was kind of like a final maternal moment mm. Uh, mm. that she got to pass along to him uh, yeah. one that I think supports him and doesn't harm him which was beautiful that moment where, yeah, you can see how transference and countertransference actually can come into the therapeutic work in a way that can feel feel healing, right? If mm-hmm. it is something that you have that presence and awareness and intentionality. And I think what um, Uza was saying earlier about the difference between losing track of your pain, right? Mm. Ugh, yeah. The ability to feel like you see and are sitting with and engaging with your pain yeah, in a conscious yeah. way. Because oftentimes, you know, as psychologists, we won't necessarily share about ourselves unless we feel it has a therapeutic purpose. Sure, sure. And But she still asked for that permission because I imagine that she felt like it was extremely important for the closing of that arc for him to understand um, a little bit more of the background of who she was as a human and what um, how she had lost track of her pain at this point. Yeah. So let me actually just like widen this a little bit. We're talking about the ending of this therapeutic relationship. So I want to ask you, Dr. Janelle, what is the appropriate way to go about ending a relationship with a client? I don't think there's a single right way. Of course, you knew I was going to say such a shrinky answer. <laughs> there's as many right ways as there are yes. humans on Earth. Um, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> Frustrating. But, <laughs> but I think that... Some of the themes that are similar in the ending is, firstly, that it's um, there's some consciousness to it, um, mm. that the decision to come to the ending that you have given it some thought, and then there's also the gut reaction to it, your emotional mm. space, and not being surprised if there's a tension point between feeling that it's time and feeling that you're ready to continue the work that you've been doing in therapy on your own or, you know, no, first, like being able to know that you can take a break and always come back, right, if you mm-hmm. would need to. Um, but sometimes there can also be that counter tension as well of how scary that can be to let go yeah. of something that has felt good or safe or empowering um, in many ways. And then I think that it is the ability to have a discussion with your therapist about what is next. If you're terminating therapy because it wasn't a good fit 
or you weren't sure. meeting your therapeutic goals, um, I think that people often underestimate how much you can communicate with your therapist and bring that into the room, right? Yeah. Being able to say, I either feel that I'm ready or I feel like I need something different. And so that that can be part of your therapeutic work is um, navigating the negotiation of closure. And if you've noticed that that's something hard for you to do, then in some ways that's like the big boss level of your therapeutic work. Like if goodbyes are hard for you, if being able to name that you're not getting what you need is hard for you, that is a huge thing that you can bring into the termination process with your therapist and work through. Yeah, I'm shaking at the thought of that. You're not doing what I thought you were going to do or like you're not meeting my needs or whatever. Mm. It's a scary thing to walk in and say, but also I think important too, you know, important to know that you, you deserve to be able to express that. And it doesn't, Mm. it doesn't mean that you're saying the therapist is bad, (laughs) you know, like, like those two things don't have to always equal. I think that is the fear around termination at times is is that you terminating that therapist is a reflection of the therapist's worth or you Mm. don't want to hurt their feelings and it's Mm. like no no like we can there is a separation here that's allowed to have where like Mm. this may not actually be the right fit for you and really a good therapist should welcome that because Really, I mean, not every therapist is going to be the right fit for what you need in that moment, in that yeah. way. And yeah. the being able to do the work is what's so important. And that was what was really wonderful about watching Eladio and Dr. Brooke go through this, where you're able to see that um, ending a therapeutic arc doesn't need to be hurtful or angry or disrespectful interaction in any ways. And unfortunately, that's the experience that many of us have when there are endings in a relationship. And in many ways, it should, could be a model for what a transition in a relationship can be in other places in your life, mm. that it can offer yeah. a space for closure, transition, and really reflection on what the work was and and what you learned through it. But I think people get afraid about termination and about hurting people's feelings and about, you know, being not liked or afraid that, like, your therapist might be Mm -hmm. mad at you. And honestly, if your therapist is going to be mad at you, there are, again, more evidence as to why they're not the right person because— A a good signal that the work was not going to be good. (laughs) Yes, because any therapist should be like, yeah, I want to support Mm -hmm. you ultimately to getting to your next level and to expanding. If you can't do that here, it doesn't matter where you do it. I just want to support you in doing it. Oh, yeah. That was so beautiful. Like, Brandon. (laughs) No, and thinking about (laughs) then, And you see with Dr. Brooke, she made sure that a lot of you had referrals. She was very conscientious. She built that bridge to the transition. And oftentimes people wonder, if I stop work with this clinician, I'm going to have to start over from the beginning. Sure. And one of the things that I like to assure folks is you don't need to start from the beginning. You can start wherever it feels right. And oftentimes your former therapist will be willing to connect with your new therapist and share what they saw and what you had been working on um, and kind of help give that, ease the transition and be a warm handoff. So... I think there's lots of ways to make that happen.
So speaking of a therapist-client relationship, uh, that might not be good. (laughs) (laughs) We have got to talk about Colin, because I thought we were done with him, but we not, okay? So after all of Colin's narcissism, um, his sexual harassment of Brooke, and general resistance, she takes him back as a paying client. Let's hear a clip of that moment. You want me because you can't have me. I'm growing. I don't know why you can't see that, but I am. I'm changing. You are changing me. I you suck. I know it. guessing at what I want to hear. Well, what do you want to hear? The truth. Well, what is the truth? Only you can know, Colin. Uh, I, I hate myself. That's the truth. No, it isn't. No, I'm cruel. I know that. Goodbye. No, I, I think people are stupid. I think people are stupid. I hate them for it. I hate how easy it is to manipulate and to lie to them. I, I hate how soft and impressionable and trusting they are. It makes me want to take advantage of them. It makes me want to punish them, to find some way for them to pay the price for just how stupid they are. Everyone, my, my employees, my clients, my lawyers, Hannah, you. I know you're not. I know you're not now, but you asked for the truth. Stop. Say something. Well, why, why can't you say anything? I'm just tired. I have so much work to do. I appreciate your honesty. I'll see you next week. You can show yourself out. We'll see you next week. <laughs> uh, uh, yikes. What do we make of Brooke taking Colin back after all of that? I mean, one of the things that really disturbed me is that he's aware of the fact that he has some leverage over her. Um, Mm -hmm. And he, at one point, I think, asks if she signed off on his paperwork, wondering if she thought that he was going to tell on her. um, Which, I mean, it's really, it's not allowed, like, within our licenses. You can't drink with a client late at night. Like, that can can be an ethical violation. That sounds off. (laughs) Yeah, so I, I was, that definitely stood out for me as a red flag. I was worried about that. What did you think? I mean... I said it to y'all off air. I'll say it to everybody on air. Colin would have, we would have fought. We would have, we would have scrapped. My my New York ass would have been tussling (laughs) with him around my nice ass house in Baldwin Hills. (laughs) (laughs) Furniture would have been moving, as we like to say. (laughs) Um, Which, but you know, you know, I I joke about that. Although, no, I'm, I'm not really joking. But what's interesting to me about that is. Brooke doesn't have that um, space Mm -hmm. to do that. You know, if she were to do that, she would be in her right in the way that he was, one, not leaving when she said to leave, Mm -hmm. putting his hands on her, Mm -hmm. being very aggressive and and forward. If she wanted to pop him, she would have been in her full right. But being the black person in the space, she would have lost more. I think about that, you know, if we pull out of the show and kind of thinking about what's going on in our country and in the world and what black people navigate, you know, we are often spoken to in such disrespectful ways, mm-hmm. publicly, blatantly, overtly, and aren't able to 
retaliate or have to be very conscious about the ways in which we retaliate as Mm -hmm. in having to control ourselves, having Mm -hmm. to really process and say, please leave still, even if somebody is crossing a very clear boundary over and over. And so that was really painful to watch, Mm. to like know that this man is crossing boundaries left Mm -hmm. and right and Dr. Brooke, for reasons of like, you know, the ethical reasons is probably also part of it. But even if she didn't have that drink, I think there would still be a consideration that she would have to make. Yeah. You know, yeah. do I throw this piece of furniture at him or do I ask him to kindly leave? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And that feeling of disempowerment then that comes with yes. it. Where, mm-hmm. um, you know, this sense that... I have to, again, yeah, be above reproach. I need to figure out a way to pull myself in, uh, even when this this person, Colin, is assaulting her. He is sexually harassing her. He mm-hmm. is in her home degrading her and, and, mm-hmm. and really ignoring her in a way that, I mean, and I, you know, I couldn't help but watch this from the idea of how might this look different if this was a small blonde therapist at her home, sure, right? And how how might we perceive the need to kind of protect her from this man, this character who's really described feeling like he takes what he wants. Mm. Is she safe? And for me, that was like really, really hard to watch. You know, and then it ending with her agreeing to see him again and continue the work. I think it was painful because part of me wanted to to kind of counter this narrative that yeah, she has to be this strong, strong black woman who can hold her own against this dude who has admitted that he has hurt and manipulated and has no respect for her or his wife or other anybody around him and then yet that she's going to be the strong one who shows up and continues to try to change him yeah the question becomes you know why dr brooke (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) right like you're like okay we got to this end point like let him go but then she does make the choice and it's like well what is the motive behind continuing to work with this person if you identify him as a narcissist if he's gotten to the truth or what we are assuming is the truth which is that he's just at base a dick (laughs) he he gets off on that you know why continue to work with him? Mm. Like, I like, I, and we, you know, we don't know like what, how her wheels are turning. Yeah. She's like, I will continue, even though he's crossed all these boundaries. I'm going to continue to mm. work with him. I, I wonder what her thinking mm. is. I want to be in her consultation um, group. I want to hear her think yes. about that. <laughs> because by the end, I was like, especially when he went off on he mistreats people. He hates how easy they are to manipulate. Yes. like all of these things that he said. I was like, we're talking sociopathy. Like we're looking at a sociopath. Yeah. Like the superficial charm, the lack of empathy. The almost disgust at um, other people and seeing relationships as um, all instrumental to meeting your own needs and own goals, that moves beyond narcissism. And we're starting to look at like sociopathy or antisocial personality disorder. Yeah. Shall we get to Layla? 
Yeah, let's talk about Layla's episode now. Um, Because there was a lot going on there, too, that could bring up some, you know, distressing feelings. And Mm -hmm. you know how protective I feel. Layla brings out the Mama J in me. Yes. (laughs) But I was so glad to see that hers had a much more peaceful ending. Yeah. Um, You know, so in this episode, we see that Layla's grandmother shows up looking for her. uh, And it finally gave us this fuller picture for the conversation we've been having about the burden of Black excellence and the, the effect of corporal punishment on young people. I actually want to play this clip of Rhonda explaining why she was so controlling of Layla. Mm-hmm. Layla being all in her head all the time. In some ways, that's success. She's not stuck somewhere thinking about where her next meal is coming from. Not counting the hours before the power is cut off. You think anybody ever asked me what my hopes were when I was growing up? They're going to care what a half-starved little black girl out of East Texas in the 60s wants out of life. (laughs) Come on now. And if they had asked, what did you want? That's what I'm saying, Brooke. I didn't have dreams. All I have are the people I make, and I put every single thing I have into them. My child and the child of my child. And now, look, he, he's dead inside, and she is in the wind. Hmm. First of all, I, I do want to acknowledge the legend that is Charlene Woodard. <laughs> I just have to say, I was very excited to see her in the first week. But it was really, really satisfying to have this episode where we where we get to get to know Rhonda, but also witness the legendary Charlene Woodard mm-hmm. on screen opposite Uzo. I mean, that is just like uh, just I, I was geeking out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was geeking out. So the, let me say that first. Um, but also, this was so painful to watch this scene. Um, and it goes to what we talked about with parents on pedestals and and being superheroes and c- kind of not seeing their humanity mm-hmm. and just kind of only seeing them as a parent, which is like perfect and expert. Um, mm-hmm. And what I saw in this was the real human, the real pain. Does Again, not excusing the ways in which she, quote unquote, made these people, but understanding why this was the way in which she chose to, again, make these people. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I mean, and like you said, not a, not creating an excuse, but building this understanding of some of the trauma that she was intergenerationally mm-hmm. passing down. Mm-hmm. And maybe not even within her conscious awareness and I sort of, I sort of hoped, I'm like, I hope that this is the beginning of continued therapeutic <laughs> work for Rhonda. Yeah. To really be able to interrogate this question of, yes, when I was growing up, it was about me surviving. We were in a crisis state to stay alive. Yes. And that's what I learned. And you're talking about hope. You're talking about aspirations. You're talking about meaning, thriving. 
I don't have a template for how to even engage with the breadth of her um, granddaughter's experience of of who she is and who she can be. Yeah, because what you really see too is that for Rhonda, um, I'm, I'm, I hate calling her by her first name. I'm like Miss Rhonda. Yeah, Miss Rhonda Fisher. <laughs> let's do this. I was like, I felt it too. I was like, oh, I was like, for name. Rhonda. I'm sorry, this feels so uncomfortable for Miss Rhonda. <laughs> let's say Miss Rhonda. My mom's listening, and she'll be like, oh no. no. Well, I mean, let's just say Miss Rhonda from here on. Okay. <laughs> for for, for Miss Rhonda, um, you know what was, you know, she was talking about, you know, being poor and not knowing where the lights are going on and, like, if you're going to have food. And so for her, her idea of thriving is external, right? Mm-hmm. It was never, it never entered into the emotional the emotional life. It, yes. it entered into, well, you have this bag and you got a house and you got clothes on your back. You got food as much as you want. Mm-hmm. You got this brand new Bentley. I'm doing right by you, you mm-hmm. know, and ignoring that. Like, honestly, the car doesn't matter as much as yeah. the emotional life. Right. Mm-hmm. They're like, Layla would be fine in a Prius. She don't need a Bentley. <laughs> <laughs> but what's a Bentley doesn't uh, replace the emotional trauma, right, mm. that both Miss Rhonda has experienced in her life and has never acknowledged, and mm. the emotional trauma that her son, we are understanding, has experienced, and now Layla has experienced, that, th- that this lineage and this family has figured out how to grow their legacy externally, but has not figured out how to break the general generational curse mm. of the emotional trauma that mm. the, the family has. You know, that's the missing link. Oh, I mean, and this is what Dr. Brooke and Layla are doing together because they're having this parallel process, right, Mm -hmm. of Dr. Brooke looking and seeing that younger version of herself and having that lived experience that she brings into it. And really her being able to share and close the loop with Miss Rhonda in the, the conversation that she's having really hoping to help her understand what freedom and what liberation, what thriving might look like and could be beyond all of these markers of success that we know are part of the master's tools, that it's Mm -hmm. money, that it is degrees, Mm -hmm. that it is sitting in a fancy house, right? Right, right. and really helping to invite her. And you see towards the end, um, you know, how she engaged and was able to listen to her granddaughter. But, yeah, can we can we talk about uh, Peru and Layla? Can oh, yes. Let's talk about Peru and Layla. Well, how did you feel? Because you, you just got so giddy. So I want, I want you to talk about how you felt <laughs> about Layla and Peru. Well, I, already, I love Peru to begin with. But... Um, I, I for so long in so many of the episodes, I was worried about Layla and this painful transition that she's going through and her struggle to really know herself, which can come with such enormous psychic pain, right? Mm-hmm. Particularly where you feel this tension between what your family expects from you and what the world expects from you mm. and what you want for yourself. And... It felt really almost like wish fulfillment and fantastical 
to see that her work with Dr. Brooke unlocked this ability for her to pursue and chase after that sense of freedom and self-knowledge. And she's in Peru, so she, the whole time I was all worried, where is she? Is she okay? Yes. And, and, and it turns out that she's she's doing that thing that adolescents do where they can really worry us, they can really scare us, but in some ways if you trust in their ability to to know and to do and have agency. She made it to Peru. She she went. Yeah. You know what I loved about the conversation between Dr. Brooke and um, Layla was, you know, Dr. Brooke really laying out the evidence of, like, you got to a new country, you got a new phone, like, you figured yeah. out where to stay. Like, these things that you were afraid of doing – the evidence of your experience shows that you are capable Mm -hmm. uh, and really being able... And I think she did something similar for Eladio. And I think that what therapy, I think, at its best can do is help us know how to identify those things. Mm -hmm. So as we doubt, as as we move through our storms, if you will, I always say, like, as you move through your storm, just remember the last time you had a storm and you Mm -hmm. got through that, you know, the evidence of your life shows that you get through things. Uh, And so to really take stock of those moments. And obviously the younger you are, the not the less that you've gone through, but you may not be as quick to be able to identify it because there isn't as many big chapters depending on, again, your circumstances. And Layla's had a pretty charmed circumstance, so she may not have felt like she's had as many um, Mm -hmm. moments to call upon. But the reality is she did. She has tons of moments to call upon. And this is just another one to show Mm -hmm. her that you know what you're doing and you know how to do it. And then I do want to just... I do want to note that, like, I'm really grateful that Miss Rhonda, you know, like handled the phone conversation but i also just loved when you're ready for a car like come see me (laughs) a real car real car i was like oh miss ronda's not coming back to therapy that's the most (laughs) she miss ronda's done with therapy she did it and now she's going on her way that but that like that you felt in the episode miss ronda kind of open up and reveal herself and then kind of revert back to the external stuff mm. being of importance, mm. which honestly, at that point, I'm like, as long as Layla's safe and like yeah. she can give Layla her space, you know, Miss Rhonda gonna do what Miss Rhonda gonna do, and she grown. So, <laughs> well, and you know, I'm a relentless optimist because I'm like, you never know what seeds got planted, and true, she's true. constructing us. Like, uh, I mean, when she was growing up, the idea of a black woman in therapy was yeah. absolutely unheard of. Yeah. So even if it's just planting the seed that she may come back to in a different way, I, you know, I'm hoping that this is not the end of therapy for me. You know Rhonda. what? I'm a hope as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think I was thinking about like if I was just Rhonda, I'd be like, listen, honey, I got my Bentley. I'll see y'all. <laughs> I'm going to go enjoy my retirement. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye-bye now. <laughs> uh, well, I guess let's, you know, I, I hate this part because it means that, you know, we're getting closer to the end of our, our time together. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about the final episode of the season, which is Brooke's episode, uh, where she finally makes the decision to reconnect with Rita yes. after arguing all night with Adam. So let's actually hear a little snippet of the fight scene between Dr. Brooke and Adam. You think I'd like it when you're drunk. 
Oh, I know that you do. I like it when you've had a drink. <laughs> when we're laughing, having fun, we're relaxed. Mm. But you think I like it because it gives me an advantage. That you're dulled so I can shine. I don't think that. Let's be clear here. I never put a goddamn drink in your hand that you didn't ask for. Yeah, but you never care to come around when I'm sober. No, because that's when you leave me. Oh, oh, so we're gonna pretend like you could stop drinking when I decided to stop? You never asked me to. Get out. I'm not the alcoholic here, you are. But somehow I get cast in the role as the fuck up, the, the fuck boy, the loser. Because that's easier for you. As long as you can keep on assuming that I can't give you what you need, you can keep me at arm's length. You get to stay safe. But what if that makes you bad for me? Can we just sit down? All I'm saying is we both know what this is. And it pisses me off when you act like the innocent. You called me six weeks ago. And you came running. You're welcome. Because that's the dance we do. Mm. All right, Adam. Come on, Adam. I th- I was okay. I don't know about you. But, uh, I was shocked at how self-aware he was. How how I did not think that he he I didn't think he was that plugged in. What about you? Mm. I I was surprised as well. Um, and I think the fact that he was able to share it so clearly yeah. and also really describe their cycle and the loop that they're in where he's like, I see and I accept this for what it is. Yeah. Right. It's not lost on me that this is the dance that we have and I'm here for it because I love you and the times that we are together, it's worth it. And I was like, okay, Adam. Yeah. But he also was like, I'm not the alcoholic. Like, he really identified, mm-hmm. he advocated for himself in a way yeah. that we hadn't seen. You know, we, we've been talking about Adam as maybe the re- relationship exists because Dr. Brooke has to be so excellent and aware in so many parts of her life. And it doesn't seem like she has to do that with Adam. She can kind of mm. just, like, coast with Adam. And Adam kind yeah. of provides this escape where she can just drink and and be. But, like, this episode was like, no, no, Adam Adam has some, some needs as well mm-hmm. and is aware of those needs and is conscious of those needs. Um, and maybe this is more complicated than we as the audience and... Dr. Brooke has been uh, giving it credit for. Yes. Well, I mean, and I think about what um, Dr. Brooke said in the episode where she did the therapy with herself. Mm-hmm. And she talks about the narrative that she had internalized that in order to be lovable, she had to find ways to dim herself because others, especially her mom, couldn't handle how smart she was or how perceptive she was. And you see her carry her o- that over to Adam. And Adam's like, nah, you got me mm, fucked up, That's not, that's you bringing that into the narrative that that's not what I'm asking for from yeah. you. Um, which really kind of then, I wonder if that makes her take a step back where the, that may have been the initiation of her really considering, then why am I falling into this loop and thinking about getting sober again, possibly? Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think what that 
fight did was show that they're existing in two different realities. Mm-hmm. And so I think there was a comfort when she thought there was the same reality, but now you're dealing with, oh, I'm actually in a different reality than this this person who is the only person that doesn't seem to judge me for when when I drink. And so now mm-hmm. I might have to just reassess what's going on. What am I doing? And why. And why. And the why for it. Because now if like Adam also wants something more, or like then like what what does that mean mm-hmm. for Dr. Brooke? Mm-hmm. So what did you think about the phone call? I thought, yeah, the phone call. And I'm like, who's she calling? And I loved that it was Rita. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I mean, that communicated to me this awareness that she, where she was, the pain had engulfed her in such a way that she hadn't attended to that she might need to do some work and some continued exploration before reaching out to her son in a healthy way. Sure. That's how I read it. What did you think of her calling Rita? Um, What did you make of it? Rita is is her rock, you know? You know, it's something that, like, Jen said last, I think it was last week or whenever we talked to uh, Jen, um, about, you know, the people who are in the lives of someone who is an alcoholic uh, or an addict are always rooting for them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that was really beautiful to see that Rita was still genuinely happy for that phone call yeah. and that that love, you know, especially in the first episode where we hear Dr. Brooke go, you're not like a real friend. <laughs> She's <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, but but she is, you know, and she is, she is there to help Brooke along. But also in what we talked about in the beginning of the show, where we had like Colin and Layla who were against their will and we saw how difficult therapy was when somebody is dragged there. Mm -hmm. I think that's the same thing here. Like Dr. Brooke had to be ready. Mm -hmm. Um, Like there was was no dragging her to, you know, get help. She would have to be ready and willing in order for it to be meaningful and impactful. Mm -hmm. Yes, and this idea of her coming to a place where not only relying on herself in this isolated, lonely space to be able to really open herself to the up to the ability of being held by others. Yeah. That was yeah. I left hopeful that that might be the next step for her because she had been keeping it together as much as she could. She had, you know, she has the enormous ability for self-reliance and the other side of that coin seems to be the vulnerability to let others see her and truly Mm. witness her and then to witness as part of that as it is the part for all of us as humans our pain Mm -hmm. and to to get support in that yeah so Hopefully she and Rita are going to chill, going to watch, you know, some more celestial events. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And never break up ever again. (laughs) Ever again. That is our hope. That is our hope. So we are almost done for today, and I can't believe it, but it's almost time to leave you, Brandon. And as always, I want to make sure that you have some resources and recommendations. 
But remember, this is not a replacement for therapy. So if you feel the need, please reach out to a mental health professional. All right. So first off, um, I want to make sure that you have the resources for Alcoholics Anonymous and also for Al-Anon. And Al-Anon is associated with Alcoholics Anonymous, but is for the family and the folks who are in the lives of, of those who might be struggling with addiction or substance use disorders so that they can get the support they need to, um, because that can come with a lot of strain. So both AA.org and Al-Anon.org our resources. I want to make sure that you have. Um, In a different direction, we've talked a lot about Black vulnerability and the the way that particularly Black women can um, really embody their experience. And something that I'm loving is this anthology of different stories of Black women, and it's called You Are Your Best Thing that focuses on vulnerability, shame, resilience, and the Black experience. And that is co-edited and brought together by Tarana Burke and Brene Brown. Ugh, we love those two. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the two. And for so long, I'm like, I want to talk about vulnerability, but what? Are, like, let's talk about Blackness and vulnerability yeah. as well. So it's happening. So check that out for sure. Love that. Um, and one of my greatest hopes in doing this podcast was that this might spark an interest for someone who may want to start therapy after the conversations that we've had together, Brandon. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure that you know where to begin because it can feel kind of daunting. So there are lots of different directories if you're looking for a therapist. One is inclusivetherapist.com where you can search and try to find a therapist who might be a good fit. Um, Therapy for Black Girls is incredible. Another directory where you can search for mental health providers. And then Therapy Den. So hopefully you can use these resources if you want to start the journey and the process of uh, beginning therapeutic work. Wow, those are great. You're great. <laughs> and it looks like that's our time for now. For now, but you can still find us wherever you listen to your podcast. In Session is the official companion podcast for the HBO show In Treatment, and it's a production of HBO and Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers are Barry Finkel, Max Linsky, and Jenna Weiss-Berman. Our lead producer is Melissa Slaughter. Associate producers are Audrey No and Taylor Hosking. Darby Maloney is our editor, and our engineer is Raj Makija. Our senior managing producer is Gabrielle Lewis. Production music is courtesy of HBO, and you can watch all the episodes of In Treatment on HBO Max. Dr. Janelle, this is the sad part. Brandon. I'm going to miss you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to miss you, too. But we're going to do this again. Yes. Promise? Promise. Pinky promise. Pinky promise. All right, see ya. <laughs> I'll see you later. Bye. Bye.